This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today I'm so excited because we have a guest on who has been on not once, but twice before. Um, And it's because he has such great information. He is an author, and we always talk about his books. And I love them because they are books that can help you in your personal life, in your business life, you know, anywhere. Um, All the information that he has is great. So please join me in welcoming John Vespasian to our program again. Welcome, John. Hi, uh, Deb. Thanks for having me on. Well, let me remind people just a little bit about you, and then we'll talk about your newest book, and then we'll jump into this. So as I said, John is the author of 10 books about rational living. He has lived in Germany, Italy, France, Spain, and the Netherlands. His books combine his passion for history, investing, and personal development, reflecting his philosophy of rational living, productiveness, and respect for the individual. In John's newest book, Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruption, John discusses questions like, is your life running smoothly, always filled with success and happiness? Or do you sometimes face disruptions and periods of chaos? If this is the case, you need the lessons contained in his book. I mentioned that he talks about historical figures, and so here's some of the the content from his book. He talks about how industrialist Sava Mamatov could have prevented disruption from destroying, literally destroying his life. Why Albert Schweitzer only grew happy and famous after turning his life completely upside down. Or how about the disruptive strategy that enabled Joseph Paxton, a simple gardener, to become wealthy? And then how is it possible that the all-powerful Knights Templar were wiped out virtually overnight? John's newest book presents real-life lessons that can massively increase your ability to succeed in the face of disruptions. So again, John, welcome. Thank you, Abedad. You know, I had so much fun reading your book because, as I said, it's got all these historical references. You know, and, and I tend to read a lot of business books, and it's talking about maybe business figures like Bill Gates or um, Richard Branson. And so to, to really talk about these historical figures and to bring to light how things that were 100, 200, you know, even more years the, uh, prior to this, how they still can be so effective to how we're living our lives today is just fascinating to me. Yeah, the, the patterns of uh, human behavior, mm-hmm. human psychology uh, has not changed uh, for thousands of years. Right. Uh, the, the environment is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have today um, uh, electronics. Uh, we have uh, apps for the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have electric cars. So we have a different uh, technological environment, but the mistakes we make Mm -hmm. and the patterns of behavior, the patterns of success and the patterns of failure are exactly the same as in Mm -hmm. the Middle Ages, as in ancient Greece, in ancient Rome. And the advantage of of looking at history 
is that uh, we know the end of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, if, I, if you are talking about Bill Gates or um, uh, you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, yes, you know how it is today and you know uh, how it's been in the, mm -hmm. in the last 20 years, but you don't know the end of the story. You don't right. know what happened in 20 years, 30 years. You don't know the legacy. Mm -hmm. You don't know the effectiveness. Mm -hmm. But when we look at uh, examples from the 19th centuries, 18th centuries, beginning of the 20th century, we know exactly what happened and mm -hmm. we know the mistakes uh, people made. We know the strategies they used. And the examples I analyze in, the, in my books, in this particular book, in the, the latest one, Undisrupted, what I've done is to go through uh, a set of biographies, uh, actually a very long number of biographies, mm -hmm and to draw from those examples uh, the patterns of behavior that uh, allow people to deal very effectively with uh, adversity, with disruptions, and the patterns of behavior mm -hmm. that make people uh, actually go down. Uh, even people who look very sophisticated, right. very clever, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you see how they face uh, trouble mm -hmm. and their lives are, are wiped out mm -hmm. completely, totally and completely. Right. You know, and, and it is interesting that, you know, two or 300 years ago, they did face the same issues. You know, granted, they don't have Facebook. And, you know, in many cases, they didn't have any media. No, you know, certainly no television, but, you know, not even newspapers and, and things like that. But the, the influences that were coming from the outside world are the same. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what's so fascinating about it is you look at somebody like Albert Schweitzer and it's like, wow, he had the same issues that we have today. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned <clears throat> at the beginning, uh, Salomon Montov. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a, a Russian uh, industrialist. He lived in the, mm -hmm. um, well, he died at the beginning of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize in the, uh, before the, re the revolution in Russia, before the communists, mm -hmm. uh, it was a, a very uh, successful industrial country. Right. And Mamontov is the Russian uh, equivalent of uh, Andrew Carnegie. He was mm -hmm. building uh, railroads. Mm -hmm. He made a fortune. He was very intelligent. He could speak several languages. Uh, he was a celebrity. Mm -hmm. and, and when we're talking about uh, uh, early 20th century in Russia, you're talking about dozens and dozens of newspapers. Right. I mean, they didn't have Facebook. Mm -hmm. But uh, certainly, uh, there was a lot of media. Mm -hmm. And Mamontov, uh, I found the story fascinating. And it gave me the idea for the book mm. because uh, he was uh, on top of the, um, of the social uh, celebrity. He was uh, mm -hmm. very famous. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he had a huge uh, art collection. Mm -hmm. He had a huge house in Moscow and also in the countryside. But at a certain point, and this is something that happens very often to uh, businessmen, at a certain point, he has started uh, uh, a second company uh, mm -hmm. when he was uh, a millionaire already with the railroad. He started right. a new company because he thought, uh, like many people today, that he could do anything. Mm -hmm. And he thought, okay, I can run a railroad uh, very successfully. He knew how to build uh, new lines. And he thought uh, he could produce steel. Mm -hmm. uh, he started uh, a steel mill to produce um, uh, uh, rails, to produce mm -hmm. uh, locomotives. And within a few years, he started to lose a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. uh, he did his best. He was a very good manager, but it's a different business. Right. And he read about uh, uh, Andrew Carnegie in the U.S. He read newspapers and he thought, I can do it. I can do anything. 
Mm -hmm. And you see this today, the same pattern. Right. Uh, people who are very successful in one business and they start something else. Mm -hmm. Al Montov, he made uh, uh, the typical mistake that you will see in the book when you go through the stories. Mm -hmm. Mamontov, when he started to lose money, he could not just recognize he had made a mistake. Mm -hmm. He thought, uh, it's not possible. I have to win. I have to win. Right, right. And he started I'm so to smart. Use I'm, so, I'm so wealthy. Yeah. All of those things, yeah. And he started to use money from the railroad mm. uh, to cover the losses of the steel manufacturer. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is he had uh, shareholders. Uh, he had um, uh, bone holders. Right. So by the time they learned he was taking money from the railroad to mm -hmm. pay for the losses of the, um, of the steel manufacturing, they sued him. Right. Uh, he was prosecuted uh, he for took their investment. money. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the guy, in the end, he was recorded. All right. the transactions. So in the end, he was honest. Mm -hmm. uh, when he was prosecuted, he was put on right. trial. Mm -hmm. He said, I didn't take any money for right. myself. He didn't I was see it as stealing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just trying to keep the companies alive. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, he was prosecuted in the end. Uh, he didn't go to jail, but he lost everything. They took mm -hmm. away all his companies, right. his houses, his art collection. And the last uh, 13 years of his life, he lived uh, in total misery. Mm -hmm. uh, he was ostracized. His friends wouldn't talk to him. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, he died in, in total uh, misery. Mm -hmm. And I found the story fascinating because you see this pattern. How is right. it possible such an intelligent, mm -hmm. sophisticated, uh, experienced uh, uh, businessman? Mm -hmm. How is it possible that he destroyed his life? Right. And I found the story very intriguing. So I started to research, and this gave me the idea for the book. Mm -hmm. And I've been going through a lot of stories in different chapters to try to identify uh, the patterns mm -hmm. that allow people to deal very successfully with these kind of problems mm -hmm. and the patterns that uh, make uh, uh, men and women like Mamontov uh, to go down, to destroy their lives completely unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and what you're talking about are, are disruptions. So tell us your definition of a disruption. Yeah, disruption is anything you are not expecting. Mm -hmm. If you are uh, prepared and you have uh, uh, strategies for, uh, for <clears throat> protecting your health, protecting mm -hmm. your investments, uh, protecting your business, you have uh, a strategies that I present in the book, different uh, things mm -hmm. you can do. Um, it's very difficult uh, that you will be wiped out. Mm -hmm. You might fall sick. You mm -hmm. might go through a divorce. You might go through um, uh, business problems. But you will survive right. because you have the basic um, uh, tools mm -hmm. to keep uh, your head above water. The problem is that uh, this is very unusual. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, uh, we have uh, this ingrained idea of continuity. And if you are successful and you're doing something, mm -hmm. automatically you think that the next year will be better. Right. That will be a, a little bit better. Mm -hmm. uh, everything will be fine. Your friends, your health, your, your marriage, your business. And we tend to overestimate our luck. Mm -hmm. And from time to time, uh, something happens. Could right. be the, I mean, we saw two days ago this huge company, uh, Thomas Cook, mm -hmm. this travel operator, this um, uh, holidays, uh, these uh, holidays packages. Right. Mm -hmm. They just mm -hmm. went down, went down. Yeah, left uh, people stranded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, spectacularly. And I mean, come on, these kind of things happen all mm -hmm. the time. So right. you have to be, you have to be aware, you have to be ready. Mm -hmm. And what I do in the book is to present the strategies you can use 
to protect yourself and to cover the, the downside. Right. You know, and, and one of the things that I found interesting when I was reading it is typically we think of a disruption as a negative thing. But in many cases, it's actually a positive, um, you know, and, and, and something good can definitely come of it. Or, you know, it just might be, <coughs> excuse me, might be positive to start with. But as you said, it's just something that's unexpected. So it can be positive or negative. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you just mentioned uh, Albert Schweitzer. Mm -hmm. uh, he died uh, in the 1960s, 1965. Mm -hmm. He was a very famous uh, humanitarian. Mm -hmm. Uh, he followed uh, one of the, the strategies I presented in the book is that um, to avoid um, uh, getting stuck, because this happens to many people. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not that uh, they have uh, huge problems, it's that they cannot grow. Right. Because their environment, their business, their career, mm -hmm. uh, relationships, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, they're stuck and they want to get better, but uh, they just cannot grow. Mm -hmm. And this happens to millions of people. They spend their, their time watching TV or, or, I don't know, whatever, but uh, because they feel stuck and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And this was the case of Schweitzer. Mm -hmm. Schweitzer was a professor uh, in Strasbourg in the university in France. He was a theologian. Uh, he felt uh, very unhappy because he had uh, this intellectual job. He was teaching. Um, and he wanted to do something else with his life. He was very... Um, yeah, he could not sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, he was quite unhappy. And in the end, uh, he decided uh, to change his life completely, to go through major disruptions. And this is why I presented the story in the book, because he did it in a very clever way. Mm -hmm. And there are uh, very interesting lessons to learn from his story. Uh, he said, uh, I, I am a very profound uh, believer. He, he was a very convinced, uh, highly convinced Christian. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to go to Africa to start a mission, right. which was a bit crazy because everybody told him, oh, come on, you're crazy. You have a job. You're a professor. Right. Why would uh, you, you have a high give income? everything up? Mm -hmm. But he was very unhappy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the only way to get uh, unstuck mm -hmm. and to, to really be happy, which is the whole point of living, mm -hmm. uh, you have to go through some disruptions. Right. The, the story of Schweitzer is very interesting because he did it in a very clever way. Mm -hmm that I recommend uh, to anyone who, uh, who wants to get unstuck and to, to change his life in any way, uh, because the changes that the Schweitzer uh, undertook uh, could not be more radical. Mm -hmm. uh, to quit a, a very good job, to go to a, to a different continent mm -hmm. uh, where the, the level of uh, infrastructure was very, very bad, mm -hmm. uh, to change his profession, because he tried to find a job in Africa uh, with one of these um, uh, uh, evangelical um, uh, organizations, mm -hmm. and they told him, "But come on, you are a professor. What are you going to do in Africa? Right. You have no you have no skills. Mm -hmm. You have no skills." So, mm -hmm. in, so in the end, uh, <clears throat> he decided to go through a program of change, which was radical, mm -hmm. to quit his job, to study, to go back to studying, uh, mm -hmm. to study medicine, and to become a physician, mm -hmm. so that he could do something in Africa, because otherwise he wouldn't have any any activity. Mm -hmm. And this was going to take several years. It was going to take five years. Uh, his family told him he was crazy. His friends told him he was crazy. But in the end, he knew that uh, he had to do it. He wanted to be happy. Mm -hmm. And the way he did it is fantastic because he knew very well that uh, the whole plan could be a failure, mm -hmm. that uh, maybe he didn't make it uh, in the university as a doctor. Maybe he could not get a job in Africa. Maybe he went there and he didn't like it. Or maybe he could not raise money. 
uh, because he wanted to start a hospital in Africa. I mean, there were so many obstacles. Mm -hmm. But what Schweitzer did, and this is a very interesting uh, recipe um, for anyone who wants to, to get unstuck, he covered his risk by having a plan B. Right. And the plan B of Schweitzer was very clever because he was uh, a professor, Mm -hmm. But in the weekends, during the weekends, he used to play uh, the organ uh, to play music in the mm -hmm. cathedral because he mm -hmm. was a very accomplished uh, mm -hmm. musician. Mm -hmm. So he thought, OK, I'm going to try this new uh, plan. It's going to be total disruption. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change the country. I'm going to change professions. I'm going to, to change my life completely. But if everything fails, I can always make money uh, teaching music right. or playing uh, performing music. Mm -hmm. So when he went to Africa, eventually he went to university, he got a degree as a physician, he found a, a sponsor to go to Africa. But when he went to Africa, he took a, a piano, a secondhand piano, an upright piano, very cheap, mm -hmm. he bought it secondhand. And when he was in Africa, uh, he played piano every day, mm -hmm. for one hour every day, because right. he knew that uh, if his plan, his disruption uh, was too big, and he had to quit, mm -hmm. he could always go back to right. his music. He so could he make needed a to keep that skill up. Mm -hmm. And he did it very often. I mean, mm -hmm. very often he ran out of money, and he went back to Europe, and he played, um, uh, he gave concerts in different mm -hmm. cathedrals. He, he raised money, and then he went back to Africa. Mm -hmm. And this plan B strategy is very important. Mm -hmm. When you're going through disruptions, when you want to change your life, when you want to get unstuck, when you want to try something else, don't be crazy and throw everything out of the right. window. Uh, you have to do like Schweitzer. It was mm -hmm. very clever. Uh, he al this allowed him to be very, uh, very uh, with a lot of serenity mm -hmm. uh, and stressed because mm -hmm. most people, when we go through these changes, they go crazy. But Schweitzer right. was always a very cool guy mm -hmm. because he had a plan B. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, so many people will do that. They think, you know, I want to change my life. You know, but most of them are not nearly as dramatic, but they might think, oh, I'm tired of working at this company. You know, I want to do something different. And so, of course, the, the wise thing is to do you know, what we over here in the United States call a side hustle. So, you know, you think, okay, I want to do this, but I'm only going to do it on evenings and weekends. And if it takes off, then I can quit my other job. Um, you know, and, and so, and, you know, there's, there's definitely benefits to just going all in on something, but then if it fails, you really are sunk, you know, and, and so I love the, the, you know, the having the plan B strategy. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a pattern you find in history. I mean, I, I have in the book, uh, many examples. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, Paxton, who was a gardener. Mm -hmm. um, this guy, the Paxton was fascinating. It's a fascinating example because he was uh, uh, completely uneducated. He had no right. schooling. Mm -hmm. He started to work when he was uh, 14 years old mm -hmm. as a gardener. Mm -hmm. So he started to get uh, a better position. So eventually he was a gardener mm -hmm. in a very big uh, park in England. But he was still a gardener. I mean, he had mm -hmm. no, no um, possibilities to improve right. his life. But he wanted uh, to get ahead uh, mm -hmm. somehow. So he started to read newspapers. Mm -hmm. Uh, he started to read books. He started to um, to experiment with different uh, innovations, and eventually, he found an article in a magazine about um, uh, glass houses. That mm -hmm. was in the in the 19th century. That was the the innovation, 
and all the rich people they wanted to have uh, a glass house in the right. in the garden or in the yeah, park. Yeah, they wanted a, a solarium or a greenhouse. Yeah, and they they, they wanted to have exotic uh, plants, and it was very so Paxton. Uh, so they asked article and said, oh, maybe I can build a glass house. So we started mm-hmm. to build um, a very, I say, a very crappy uh, glass house at the beginning because he didn't know how to do it. So he right. did it himself. He, he bought some uh, glass panes and mm-hmm. he put uh, a, a very uh, simple structure. So, okay, he was a bit pathetic, but he was the first one. Mm-hmm. And he learned how to do it. Right. And then he, big, he built a bigger one. And eventually uh, he started to build very... Uh, sophisticated uh, glass houses because mm-hmm. he copied uh, the structure of uh, plants, the mm-hmm. uh, the ribs, and he imitated a little bit what he saw in the garden. So mm-hmm. eventually, he put quite a big, uh, put up very big uh, glass houses, mm-hmm. but still he could not get uh, a better position because he got the salary raise. Mm-hmm. Uh, people went to the glass houses. And said, wow, this is very cool. These uh, glass houses, but still uh, he was looking for opportunity, mm-hmm. and eventually. Uh, he was just pushing in all directions, writing mm-hmm. articles about gardening. Uh, uh, he started uh, a gardening magazine. So he, he started many initiatives, but he could not find a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And eventually, just by trying different things, uh, there was um, a, a call for tender mm-hmm. um, to build uh, an exhibition hall mm-hmm. in London uh, for a for an international exhibition that was mm-hmm. in the in the 19, sorry, 18, 1860s. Mm-hmm. And Paxton wanted to submit uh, a design uh, of, of a glass house because mm-hmm. he thought, okay, they want to put up the building. They have uh, requirements about cost, about um, uh, uh, the building time, the structure. So eventually he thought, maybe I could build a glass house mm-hmm. for the exhibition instead of building. So they opened this competition they got submissions for all the big uh, architectural firms, mm-hmm. but none of them could meet the requirements because it has to be built in uh, five months. Mm-hmm. It has to be very cheap, and it has to be uh, uh, also very quick to uh, to dismantle because mm-hmm. it was going to build in a park in the central right. London. And eventually, Paxton, uh, he was very modest. He, the guy was very afraid and said, so, okay, everybody's going to laugh at me if I submit. Well, and, and he uh, was being told, but you're just a gardener. Mm-hmm. You're just a gardener. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any experience in building. But eventually, uh, since he knew that he was going to be uh, ridiculed, mm-hmm. what he did was to send uh, his submission, but he sent it also to the newspapers. I love he that. he had been publishing uh, mm-hmm. articles. So he knew a few uh, people in newspapers. So he sent also his uh, uh, design to several newspapers mm-hmm. because it was a very unusual design. Mm-hmm. And the next day, uh, they published it everywhere. They thought, mm-hmm. oh, this is very cool, this right. design of a glass house. So they published it in the Times, um, in different newspapers. So the, the selection committee they could not ignore Paxton because mm-hmm. now it was everywhere and people right. wanted to know, okay, the guys meeting the requirements mm-hmm. of the structure, the cost, the building time. Mm-hmm. So eventually they gave him the contract mm-hmm. and he built uh, the project uh, ahead of time mm-hmm. uh, under budget and it was extremely successful. Mm-hmm. So by the, for the rest of his life, uh, he spent uh, the last uh, 40 years of his life uh, building Mm-hmm. Uh, glass houses, designing uh, houses for the Rothschild family because, mm-hmm. he, I mean, the guy didn't have a, a degree in architecture, but right. he was very talented. Mm-hmm. He taught himself. Mm-hmm. And this is a, you have to see the career. Paxton never 
took any risk. He mm -hmm. started little by little to mm -hmm. improve, to find different um, uh, outlets for his mm -hmm. talent. Uh, he was not someone with a lot of contacts, mm -hmm. but he built it little by little. Mm -hmm. And eventually he got a breakthrough. And right. I found the story fascinating because now you see these people uh, risking uh, their whole um, livelihood, their whole mm -hmm. career in just one move. Right. And say, oh, I'm going to do this. But Paxton took, I think, the right strategy mm -hmm. uh, to improve little by little, uh, to find uh, new outlets for your, for your talent. Uh, to make contacts in different areas, mm -hmm. and eventually he found uh, a breakthrough. Right, you know, and, and I love that he took the the added step of sending his uh, plans to the media, um, because and then and then it really was fortunate that they thought it was great. You know, if they had went, well, this is silly, then everything would have been lost. But he he wouldn't have lost anything by doing that. Because, you know, they would have gone, oh, well, whatever. Um, but, but it did put that public pressure on, um, you know, and, and so then the, the committee, as you said, they had to pay attention to it. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a risk at all to do that because, yeah, it could have just got ignored. I mean, that was going to be probably, you know, the, and, and, and if it was ignored, okay, well, he was still a gardener. And I love that he's, you know, even as he's doing this, he still worked as the gardener. I mean, you know, he, he kept that day job, so to speak. Yeah, and eventually when he got uh, the contract, uh, he got the leave of actions mm -hmm. uh, for a year. Right. Yeah. He, so he, he built, could go uh, back to being a gardener. Yeah, if he he built, and then eventually he mm -hmm. went back. Okay. When he went back, uh, he was already a celebrity. So he mm -hmm. got uh, uh, a high salary and mm -hmm. he, he was sort of a consultant in the mm -hmm. end because he was hired by, um, by Parks Mm -hmm. and gardens um, in Europe as a right. consultant for a very mm -hmm. high fee. Mm -hmm. I think every uh, huge project at the beginning, at the end of the 19th century, they, they hired um, Paxton as a consultant mm -hmm. uh, because he had this creativity to actually to build new structures. Mm -hmm. right. So I found the story fascinating. And you have to realize that the guy built uh, a new career path mm -hmm from scratch, mm -hmm. just by learning little by little, because if he had not tried to publish articles about gardening in newspapers, mm -hmm. he wouldn't have had any contacts. Right. But he had published uh, articles in all mm -hmm. newspapers in England and Scotland. Mm -hmm. So eventually he sent his design, which was just a piece of paper. I mean, mm -hmm. it was not sophisticated. Right. He just mm -hmm. made a drawing. He sent it, uh, I think, to 20 newspapers. Mm -hmm. So only three or four uh, published it, but was enough. Right. To make pressure yeah. on the selection mm -hmm. committee. Right. But they recognized him and they knew, okay, from previous work, he's a smart guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you see this pattern um, in uh, different stories in the book mm -hmm. that um, uh, people who take a lot of risk, like Mamont, I just mentioned mm -hmm. the, um, mm -hmm. the railroad uh, industrialist, they make the fundamental mistake uh, mm -hmm. that really uh, brings people down. Mm -hmm. um, and the rule is always the same. When people start to improvise, and they get uh, into a business or into a, some kind of activity and they know very little about, like Mamonto, mm -hmm. who didn't have a clue about uh, steel manufacturing, mm -hmm. most of the time they go down right. because uh, they are improvising. Mm -hmm. They have some background, uh, you know, background about uh, management, about mm -hmm. finance. But uh, when you get into something you know nothing about, mm -hmm. uh, this is a recipe for disaster. Right. And in the book, I come with many examples uh, people in different areas that uh, they face some kind of problems. Mm -hmm. And people who do very well, they always have the same pattern. 
-hmm. they go back to things they know very well. Mm -hmm. They go back to their basic business. They go back to their friends. They go back mm -hmm. to their network. They go back to it to an area, to a territorial area, a city they know very well, mm -hmm. and they survive because they have these uh, these roots. Right. But people who go into a completely new area know nothing about, mm -hmm. and then they face a problem. They are completely lost mm -hmm. because they have nothing to fall back on. And uh, the the stories my of is the typical example of uh, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. uh, who destroy their lives. Right. You know, and, and so many times it's tied to their ego, you know, and, and, and so then what happens is they won't ask for help, you know, it, because there's nothing wrong, obviously, with expanding and even, you know, going into an area you don't know. But then the important thing is you build a team, you get more education, you do whatever it takes, but you don't just do it by yourself. Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, you have examples. I mean, it's not the same, of course, if you're running a, a huge company or you're an mm -hmm. artist, because for artists, if you're, you're talking about individuals, mm -hmm. uh, the rules are the same. It's just mm -hmm. uh, they don't have to deal with the team. Let me just give you an example. Mm -hmm. One of the, uh, the stories I presented in the book is the life of uh, the biography of uh, Django Reinhardt. Mm -hmm. He was a, a very famous uh, guitar player, jazz mm -hmm. uh, musician uh, in the 1940s, 1950s. And Reinhardt um, uh, went through a huge disruption in his life because uh, when he was in his 20s, uh, he had a very uh, nasty accident because mm -hmm. he was a gypsy. His family were gypsies. Mm. They, they live in a van mm -hmm. and uh, they didn't have electricity at the time. It was in the 19, mm -hmm. um, 1930s, beginning of the mm -hmm. 1930s. So they used candles uh, for, uh, for lighting. Mm -hmm. So during the night, um, a candle was overturned and by the time he, he woke up, uh, Reinhardt, uh, it was already on fire, the, the van. So he tried to get out, mm -hmm. but he was badly burned. He got right. uh, very heavy, very severe burns mm -hmm. in, his, um, in his arm, in his uh, fingers. So eventually he went to the hospital and he lost uh, uh, the usage of one of his fingers. He was paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And this is for a guitar player. It's really very bad because right. you can't really play. Mm -hmm. And the guy, it was his life because he was... Uh, he was not educated. He was mm -hmm. uh, a gypsy, so he didn't go to school. Mm -hmm. And the only thing he knew he was to play guitar. And he mm -hmm. wanted to be a guitar player. He was in his uh, early 20s. And like most people who go through these um, uh, disruptions, these adversities, he was completely depressed. He went through depression for a few months. He was uh, suicidal. It was really very bad. But he came with a good strategy that I, I present in the book. And it's the following. When you go through these kind of major problems, uh, whether it's an accident or uh, uh, a sickness or bankruptcy, I mean, whatever it is, when you go to major problem, uh, one of the best uh, recipes to deal with disruption uh, is to look into history mm -hmm. and to find an example of uh, uh, one person or several persons who have solved the same problem. Mm -hmm. Right, because this is a very real. I mean, it's not it's not wishful thinking, mm -hmm. because then you see that uh, it is possible to solve the problem. You don't have to um, to just say I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, and mm -hmm. to try to to um, to uh, convince yourself. But this is very difficult. It's much easier if you find an example and say, "Oh, this guy did it. Mm -hmm. I can do it." Right. And Reinhardt did the same uh, when mm -hmm. he lost his his finger. I mean, nobody had been playing guitar. Uh, with nine fingers in mm -hmm. history, but he found examples of people who were uh, invalid, they were injured, mm -hmm. and they played uh, different instruments, mm -hmm. different musical instruments, by modifying a little bit uh, the instrument or mm -hmm. by playing a different way. So Reinhardt thought, if they can do it, I can find a way to play guitar with nine mm -hmm. fingers. 
uh, he started to practice and eventually he found a way to do it, which is to play faster with one of his hands. Oh. And if he played uh, 25% faster, mm -hmm. he could make up for the um, uh, lack of one finger. Mm -hmm. uh, he started to do that after six months, took him six months to go back to playing guitar. Mm -hmm. Eventually he managed to play anything on, on the guitar uh, by mm -hmm. using nine fingers, uh, but he had to play very fast because otherwise mm -hmm. he couldn't make it. And after, um, a few months, he developed a, a very uh, unusual style, which is very, very fast, by mixing a jazz and gypsy music. Mm. And he became a huge success. Mm -hmm. In the 1930s, 1940s, he was one of the top musicians in Europe, even during the Second World War. And then he went to the U.S. Uh, he toured the U.S. with uh, Duke Ellington Orchestra. Mm. Uh, he made uh, quite a good mm -hmm. uh, uh, income. Mm -hmm. He became very successful. And uh, you have to realize that uh, people who go through these um, accidents, 99%, uh, they become psychologically paralyzed. Right. Because uh, they lose maybe, well, I don't know, one finger mm -hmm. or one, I don't know, one eye, whatever, mm -hmm. which is not uh, a sentence. No, it's not a death sentence. Mm -hmm. It's the psychology right. that uh, yeah. they make themselves believe. Mm -hmm. They cannot do it. So Reinhardt, uh, he followed uh, a very successful strategy by looking at history to find examples of someone who has done something similar, mm -hmm. not necessarily the same, but something similar, mm -hmm. right. and then to, uh, to go from there. And then he changed his mentality. He became a very um, uh, forward-looking uh, personality. Mm -hmm. uh, he did things nobody did. Even during the Second World War, mm -hmm. uh, when most European musicians were uh, escaping France, because he lived in France, he stayed in France. And even during the Nazi uh, invasion, mm -hmm. He was still making money. I mean, mm. this is an amazing story. Right. He published, um, uh, just during the Nazi times, uh, he published a record, a single uh, vinyl. Mm -hmm. uh, he sold uh, almost a million. I mean, wow. it's, it's astonishing, uh, this, mm -hmm. uh, this, this story. Mm -hmm. Because the guy was, uh, if you look at him, uh, his story, uh, uh, objectively, he had no future. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a guitar player, he right. was basically finished mm -hmm. and he found a solution. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of uh, principles that I present in the book. Mm -hmm. You have to look at history. You have to find uh, the principles be behind the stories and to use the principles because they are effective, because they show how to use your best skills. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, one of the, the things that you talk about in your book is, is how we should actually be embracing certain times, certain types of, of disruptions. What do you mean by that? This means that uh, you cannot pretend um, to be successful. And this is not something, that, it's not something I'm, I'm saying in the book. But you cannot pretend uh, to be successful or to become, uh, I don't know, happy or, or wealthy or whatever uh, just by doing nothing, just by meditation, mm -hmm. by... Uh, uh, I don't know, um, uh, thinking about it and mm -hmm. making plans. You have to, you have to, inevitably, you have to go through some disruptions. Right. And the most successful people I present in the book, they knew that. Mm -hmm. uh, they minimize the disruptions and sometimes uh, they make mistakes, mm -hmm. but um, they found a way to, um, to go through the process with minimal problems. Mm -hmm. Let me just give you another example. Mm -hmm. One of the, uh, the stories I present in the book is, uh, is uh, uh, Peter Paul Rubens. He was a very famous painter mm -hmm, right. uh, from the uh, 17th century. Mm -hmm. And Rubens is a fantastic um, uh, example because uh, while most uh, artists 
in the 17th century in Europe were starving. I mean, literally starving. I mean, mm -hmm. people, uh, they could paint uh, maybe a couple of um, uh, paintings per year uh, while they were working at something else because they couldn't make a living. Mm -hmm. But Rubens became extremely wealthy, extremely successful. If you go to um, to Antwerp in uh, in Belgium, you can visit his house. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic mm -hmm. uh, Renaissance uh, house in the center of Antwerp. And he made his fortune because he figured out how to uh, avoid the mistakes that everybody else was making. Mm -hmm. How did he do that? When he was in his 20s, uh, he, was, he wanted to be a painter, but uh, he was not more talented than the others. Mm -hmm. I think uh, in the 17th century in Belgium and the Netherlands, uh, there are painters uh, much, much better than Rubens. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was, he had this this uh, entrepreneurial mentality. Mm -hmm. uh, he wanted to become a very famous, very successful painter. So he did the right thing. He knew that if he did um, what everybody else was doing, which was just to stay around, to hang around in, uh, in Belgium and mm -hmm. to try to find some customers, he would go down because uh, they, the market was just too small. Right. He had to do something else. Mm -hmm. So what he did was the, the way the way to do it. He went and copied what successful people were doing. So he went to Italy for a year. Mm -hmm. uh, he looked at uh, the the market in uh, in Venice. Uh, it was a very um, uh, big market for painting in Florence, in Rome. Mm -hmm. He looked at the big names there, how they did the marketing, how mm -hmm. they did uh, the um, the commissions, um, the design and the drawings and the coloring. He learned how to build a business. Mm -hmm. And then we went back to, uh, to Antwerp. Within a couple of years, he was extremely successful because mm -hmm. he realized how to do market segmentation. Uh, Rubens, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, he knew how to sell uh, portraits uh, to the big families because they wanted to have their portraits. So mm -hmm. they sold portraits. And he was always walking around in Antwerp with uh, a sketchbook ah, under mm -hmm. his arm. Mm -hmm. So he would go to parties. He would make sketches of people to sell them portraits. Mm -hmm. And then he went to the church, and he knew that it was a different market, so he made uh, also designs to sell uh, big paintings for the church mm -hmm. with the saints and mm -hmm. Jesus and all the stuff. So he created uh, a huge marketing machinery, and within a few years, uh, he was selling paintings all around Europe, mm -hmm. while all the other people around him, uh, they opened their eyes and said, what is this guy doing? I mean, he's, he's uh, going ahead at full <laughs> speed, and everybody else is starving. Mm -hmm. But Rubens found all the um, the little tricks mm -hmm. that allow people to deal with disruptions because he actually prevented the problems before they happened. Right. You know, and, and I love that you talk about the fact that you know, one of the things that, that Rubens did was more quantity and, and he didn't worry as much about the quality. And, you know, that's not to say he, he didn't care because, you know, he still wanted his work to be good. But so many artists and, you know, business people, whatever, we get so caught up in this must be perfect. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be. And, and that was what Rubens figured out was, you know what? It, it could be, you know, better than, than most, but it didn't have to be perfect because he was selling paintings when the person who's figuring, you know, oh, it has to be perfect, they're still struggling. That's true. And um, when you compare Rubens uh, with one of the big names in um, in the Netherlands or in mm -hmm. the or in Belgium at the time, uh, you see they they I mean they spend like six months to produce a painting and they're right. perfect. Mm -hmm. And you go to a museum and you are 
uh, a maze of all the little details. Mm -hmm. But by that time, uh, Rubens uh, produced 50. Right. And he sold them at a very mm -hmm. high price because he got very famous. Mm -hmm. And this is just because the guy uh, knew that uh, the other method didn't work. Mm -hmm. And eventually he built, uh, I mean, he was so efficient. I mean, he actually hired uh, students uh, to read aloud to him while he was painting because mm -hmm. he didn't have time to read books. So he wanted to, to learn, uh, mm -hmm. to get inspiration. So he hired very poor students and they read uh, in shifts. Mm -hmm. uh, while the guy was working the whole day, he, they were reading mm -hmm. one after the other, they were reading mm -hmm. books, reading the Bible, uh, reading history. Mm -hmm. uh, he got uh, the ideas for the paintings from the books mm -hmm. uh, that people were reading. I mean, this is a very little, it's like um, uh, audio books mm -hmm. in the 17th century. Right. Yeah, we've got Audible now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, people uh, knew what he was doing because it wasn't a secret. Mm -hmm. What is amazing is that nobody else was doing that. I mm -hmm. mean, Rubens right. was the only one who was constantly uh, looking for uh, ideas mm -hmm. uh, to avoid problems because he mm -hmm. knew that one of the problems with painters in the 17th century, one of the big disruptions, if you will, is that they did a little thing. They did, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, stories, uh, paintings about uh, mythology and ancient mm -hmm. Greece. And within a, a couple of months, the market was gone. Right. Because uh, it was new, but then it was not fashionable anymore, so mm -hmm. they could not sell. But Rubens was constantly coming with new ideas because mm -hmm. he knew that uh, there was way to avoid uh, mm -hmm. market saturation is constant innovation. And you see, mm -hmm. uh, he uses all kinds of themes in his painting. So it was a fantastic way uh, to prevent disruptions while all his uh, peers uh, were starving, he was making a fortune. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and he did. He figured out that, you know, he could adapt. He didn't have to, you know, specialize and only do one thing. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the thing that, you know, is maybe the biggest lesson out of this is, you know, it's okay to do more than one thing. You know, we don't want to get too scattered because then that's not going to work either. But, you know, thinking, well, I can only do this one thing. You're going to get left behind. Yeah, the important thing is to, 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 uh, to build a system which mm -hmm. is very, very strong. Mm -hmm. And Rubens built uh, a system that was able to cope with any disruptions, mm -hmm. even, even the weather. Uh, right. Because this, is, this seems, I mean, you, you look at his life, it's, mm -hmm. it's astonishing. I mm -hmm. mean, the guy was so efficient. For instance, one of the problems in, uh, in Antwerp, uh, I mean, we're talking Northern Europe, huh? so, mm -hmm. a bit north, so it's a bit cold. Right, rainy. Uh, as of October. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the guy, in order to avoid getting wet, uh, which was not a little problem because he would get sick. I mean, mm -hmm. he was working um, in his 50s and 60s. Mm. So he built in his house a, a passage, a sort of a small bridge mm -hmm. uh, between his house and his uh, workshop. Oh. And when the customers came uh, to discuss the prices and everything, mm -hmm. he usually received them in this little bridge, mm -hmm. uh, which is only a few meters, but mm -hmm. uh, avoided um, uh, to get wet. Mm -hmm. uh, he used to, to make the sketches for the customers uh, under the bridge. Mm. So, I mean, every little detail mm -hmm. of his life is a lesson about uh, how to prevent problems mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I mean, we're talking about a period of history that there were wars, mm -hmm. uh, people were starving, uh, the, the, the peasants uh, during the winter, uh, many people starve. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a horrible period in history, but mm -hmm. uh, Rubens, he made uh, progress every year, mm -hmm. every year. Right. Well, and he did it 
as an artist, you know, it's, and it's not like that's a commodity that everybody has to have. You know, he did it in a, you know, with, with something that was an extravagance and people still bought it. Yeah. Uh, I would like to mention another example, uh, <clears throat> which I found also fascinating for the uh, people in business. And this is the story of, of uh, how, uh, they built cathedrals mm-hmm. in the 12th century, 13th century. Mm-hmm. Because if you're running a business today and you have uh, to figure out uh, your market segmentation, your marketing system, mm-hmm. uh, you have to deal with employees, you have to deal with uh, distribution systems. I mean, you have a lot of problems. But imagine uh, in the 12th century when uh, technology was really super, super low, mm-hmm. Uh, no electricity, no cars, no telephone. Mm-hmm. People could not even understand each other because there right. were so many different languages mm-hmm. in Europe. People could not read, so you cannot give instructions. And they built cathedrals. Mm-hmm. They built cathedrals that are still standing today. They are extremely beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, very tall buildings. And how they did it? Uh, well, it was one guy, and I studied this in the book. Uh, I found it fascinating. His name was Suger. Mm-hmm. And all the technology for building cathedrals it was known already in the 10th century, but nobody mm-hmm. actually uh, managed to put together the management system mm-hmm. uh, to actually build them because it mm-hmm. was very difficult. I mean, you have to imagine, I mean, you have to hire uh, hundreds of people mm-hmm. uh, who could not read. Uh, you have to give them instructions uh, to cut stones in mm-hmm. a very precise way. Uh, you could not work during the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in Europe it was so cold right, uh, right. in the 12th century that you could only work a few months per year. Mm-hmm. So there were a, a lot of disruptions. Mm-hmm. And Suji, I mean, the guy, um, uh, he was a monk. Uh, he wanted to put up a new a new uh, church a new mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Saint-Denis, uh, close to Paris. He wanted to put up a new church because the old one was falling apart. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to do something spectacular. Say, no, no, I'm going to do something that people will attract because the idea was to attract a lot of pilgrims mm-hmm. because in the in the Middle Ages that was really a big thing, right? And because they the brought money. Thought, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the guy thought about how to do it, and eventually uh, he designed the management system, which is the whole thing about building cathedrals. He designed a management system where he could do it uh, um, uh, very inexpensively and mm-hmm. very effectively. Just give you an idea. For instance, one of the big problems that Suger has to deal with is that um, in Europe uh, at the time, uh, you could only hire people uh, five months a year mm-hmm. because during the winter, it was impossible to work outside. You could not build it because everything was frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no heating, so it was impossible. Mm-hmm. So Suji, the first uh, obstacle he had to surmount is how can I hire 200 people and keep them uh, for 10 years? Ah. to build the cathedral. Mm-hmm. And nobody had done it before. In history, mm-hmm. it was completely unthinkable that to mm-hmm. do that. Even in um, in ancient Greek, in ancient Greece, mm-hmm. uh, people usually didn't work during the winter. But Suje thought, if I can keep people, I don't have to hire people again. I can keep the talent. I can train uh, new employees. Mm-hmm. And then I can work very productively. So he thought about it and said, okay, instead of building the cathedral, I'm going to build houses. And mm-hmm. the first thing he did was to build houses for the, um, for the workers mm. uh, with big uh, living rooms so they could mm-hmm. work during the winter. So he hired these 200 people. I said, you stay here. Mm-hmm. I pay you a salary every, mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't on holidays, but okay, they have to work every year, uh, every day of the year, during the, except for the festivities. But they could work during the winter. Mm-hmm. And during the winter, uh, he paid them, but they could work inside mm-hmm. and they could cut the stones. Right. So they spend the whole winter cutting the stones, and then during the during the summer, mm-hmm. uh, they could build the walls 
very quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just a, a, one of the examples, but mm-hmm. Suji created the business system to deal with disruptions. Mm-hmm. And I right. found the story fascinating because you can use the same principles today to run mm-hmm. a business uh, and you will be facing problems which are much, much smaller mm-hmm. than what Suji have to face in mm-hmm. the 12th century. But once he developed the system, then they copied. Everybody copied the system and mm-hmm. they built cathedrals around Europe and they are copy-paste from the one that mm-hmm. was built by Suji. Right. You know, and... And there are definitely businesses that are cyclical in nature or seasonal, you know, and, and, and when you get good employees, you want to keep them, um, you know, and, and so, you know, I, 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 it's, but they do, they, you know, businesses struggle with, you know, how do I keep these people that I, that are great, that are trained and, you know, and, and he did, he found a, a perfect way to be able to do that. Yeah. The principle behind is that, um, uh, I mean, whenever you're doing life, you're going to find problems. I mean, whether mm-hmm. you are an artist or you are a, uh, a businessman, you always find obstacles. Right. The principle behind the success of Suje mm-hmm. is that he figured out that uh, the the way to uh, to ensure success is that in any case, within uh, with this winter, uh, whether it's uh, uh, different languages, he found a way to deal with the instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he found a way to deal with the people who couldn't read. I mean, he found solutions. As mm-hmm. long as you can advance every day, mm-hmm. uh, you can do something. It doesn't matter whether it's you're building the walls, you're cutting the stones. As long as you can use the time productively every day, eventually you will make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a, a very important lesson because people sometimes get uh, uh, focused on one specific uh, right. problem. Say, oh, mm-hmm. my God, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. Okay, then mm-hmm. do something else mm-hmm. uh, for a few days until you figure out the solution. But don't stop. Don't stop. And Suji, right. uh, he built this huge cathedral uh, with very little money and just with 200 people because he never stopped. Right. If there was a problem, he found a solution. He found mm-hmm. a way around and he kept going. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the winter, in the summer, with uh, people who couldn't speak the language, people who couldn't read, it didn't matter. He found mm-hmm. ways to keep moving every mm-hmm. day. And this is a great uh, lesson uh, for dealing with disruptions. Right. You know, we've been talking about how difficult it was during, you know, during many of these examples with, you know, no electricity, no technology, no, you know, no, no language. I mean, all of those various things. But do you think people are more or less vulnerable to distractions today? Uh, I think the problem today is not um, a, a technology problem. It's not an environment problem. It's a, it's a psychological problem. Okay. Um, and I think that it, it, this this um, philosophy of this uh, positive thinking, mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I go to, into detail in the book because many people misunderstand it. Mm-hmm. And let me just go uh, uh, for a minute about it because uh, this is so important. Right. I mean, so many people get uh, depressed and they get uh, anxious. They get, I mean, they, they take medication because they cannot deal mm-hmm. with um, uh, with problems mm-hmm. because they have um, a very um, uh, dangerous philosophy of this mm-hmm. positive thinking. They say, okay, I want to, I dream about it. I dream about it. I want to do this. I want to, and then when it doesn't work, uh, they, they, they get the nervous breakdown. Right. They're devastated. Uh, and they're devastated. Uh, and this is a, a very big misunderstanding of positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, I explain uh, the origins of positive thinking, how it mm-hmm. was invi- invented in the in the um, 19th century by mm-hmm. a pharmacist, Emil Coué. And he was a scientist. I mean, this was a guy 
uh, living in a, in a small uh, uh, town in France mm -hmm. who wanted uh, to become more successful. Uh, he was a very good pharmacist, but uh, he had a small business. Mm -hmm. And he saw uh, an advertisement for a course uh, on hypnotism. Mm. Uh, he found it very intriguing. He, mm -hmm. he closed his pharmacy for a week. He took the course and he went back. Uh, he had started to apply the ideas of the course to his um, uh, customers. Mm -hmm. uh, he started to use suggestion. And when mm. people went to his pharmacy, he mm -hmm. told them, okay, you take this thing, you take this uh, herbal preparation uh, twice a day mm -hmm. and you get better. Right. And he started to use this uh, positive thinking. Mm -hmm. He made the statistics and the results were spectacular. I mm -hmm. mean, he got so effective. People right. got well. Mm -hmm. So it works. The mm -hmm. problem is that uh, you should look at the at the methodology because mm -hmm. Kue, he was using positive thinking to motivate people to do the right thing, mm -hmm. to take the medication, uh, to change their lifestyle, uh, to sleep better. Mm -hmm. He gave them good advice and then he used positive thinking mm -hmm. to reinforce right. good behavior. Mm -hmm. But if you use positive thinking, as many people use today, uh, completely detached from any action, mm -hmm. completely detached from any plan, uh, is a recipe for disaster. Right. You, you have to see positive thinking as a, a very positive force, a very mm -hmm. beneficial um, uh, uh, formula to do the right thing. And this mm -hmm. is what Kue in the, in the 19th century, when he invented uh, the whole positive thinking theory, mm -hmm. he made statistics, he wrote uh, two books, and his theory works because he told people to do the right thing and he mm -hmm. kept statistics. But the uh, problem today, um, when people deal with disruptions and they go into this uh, very um, uh, magical thinking about, oh, I can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. Come on, if you have no plan and you have no idea what to do, it's a recipe for disasters. You right. have to be very careful about it. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, we've been talking about it all along. You need to have a plan B. You need to be risk adverse. You know, you can still be thinking positive, but you know, it, you also have to have you know the the backup plans. The what if this doesn't work type of, of philosophy. Indeed. And um, I just want to mention another strategy that I uh, I present in the book mm -hmm. uh, in different areas. And it's the question of segmentation. And this is very important okay. uh, as a strategy for risk, for risk reduction. Look, if you are dealing with uh, uh, business problems or, or family problems mm -hmm. or whatever, um, one of the most powerful ways um, to stay calm and to deal with problems is to, to break down uh, your resources, your time, your mm -hmm. energies, uh, your, your uh, hobbies, whatever, to break down in little segments mm. uh, and to try to isolate uh, each uh, segment from the rest mm -hmm. so that uh, if something goes wrong in a segment, well, I don't know, imagine you fight with a friend, mm -hmm. but you still have another 50 friends. Right. So you just isolate these problems. Okay, it's a problem here, but I still have a lot of uh, room mm -hmm. to grow elsewhere. And the same is in business. You mm -hmm. have a, a, a financial problems with a bank, whatever, Okay, you isolate the problem, but mm -hmm. the other parts of the business, the marketing, human resources, uh, product development, you just keep it going. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't uh, try to, um, to do everything at the same time. You have to avoid problems from propagating. Mm -hmm. And I have many examples of this in the book. People who do it very successfully, they have this segmentation and they break down the things and say, okay, this is the, the problem is just this little segment. 
but all the rest of the body is healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't let the problem uh, grow. Mm-hmm. And this strategy is very, very powerful. I give many examples, many um, uh, different biographies in the book. Mm-hmm. People who know how to do that, uh, they deal very, very well with problems. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we, we have a saying here in the United States, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, you know, and, and that's very true. If you put everything just on one Something's going to happen, you know, and you might get lucky. I mean, you know, you it might actually work, but most of the time it doesn't, um, you know. And and so you do need to have other things that that you know are are a part of the the plan. Yeah, and um, uh, you know, the principle of success they are always the same. Mm-hmm. What I do in each book is to focus on a specific uh, aspect. Mm-hmm. But um, what you learn from from history, from from looking at uh, uh, biographies of people, um, you can you can keep reading and reading and reading, mm-hmm. and you see the patterns of behavior mm-hmm. uh, in every century is the same. I mean, right. even uh, um, if you go to ancient Greece, you go mm-hmm. to uh, to the Middle Ages. People who do well, uh, they have the same habits, mm-hmm. they have the same mentality, they right. have the same uh, serenity, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's, a, it's something that uh, we can learn the Lord from. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a pity that uh, we tend to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. and to make always the same mistakes. Right. You know, and, and I love that we, we can learn from history because, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. They, you know, it, it, we can learn from it. And, and, you know, that is what I love about your books is that, you know, that is, you know, that's how you, you teach the lessons. Um, and it, I think the sad thing about now is that so many people, you know, they expect, they expect success right away. You know, they think they don't have to work for it. And I'm not talking about any specific, you know, demographic or anything like that. I think, you know, many people have just come to to think, well, you know, I deserve it. I should get it. And then, you know, they don't take the steps to make sure that it happens. And more importantly, they don't take the steps so that if something needs to be adjusted, that they can adjust. Yeah, if you look at history, you see the, the patterns, you see the average time of a successful person, what it takes to become successful uh, is 20 years. Right. Uh, very rarely uh, will you find someone who gets successful overnight, mm-hmm. even if he's a writer or a, a businessman mm-hmm. or an artist. Uh, give it 20 years mm-hmm. of uh, a steady work, uh, people tend to do very well. Right. Um, otherwise, uh, you should not get into wishful mm-hmm. thinking. You should not get into these fantasies of overnight mm-hmm. success. It can happen, but if you do it 20 years, it's, it's almost certain it will happen. Right. Right. You know, and, and of course, then the, the, the funny thing is, you know, how are we defining success? And I think that's, you know, that's definitely changed. I was talking with somebody else earlier today about the fact that, you know, a 16-year-old girl considers herself successful when she has 2 million followers on YouTube watching her put on makeup. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't see that as being successful. Now, if 20 years from now, as you mentioned, you know, people are still looking to her as an influencer, that's different. Yeah. Okay. The problem, okay. In every century, there are distortions. Right. Um, in, in the Middle Ages, people did a lot of crazy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, in the 21st century, we have our own craziness. Mm-hmm. And people got, um, uh, they waste a lot of time with the right. social media, which most mm-hmm. of the time is unproductive. It's good entertainment, mm-hmm. but uh, if you really want to have a life without disruptions, you have to think, you have to read, you have to take uh, precautions, you have to adopt right. uh, good habits. Mm-hmm. 
and you will do very well. Mm-hmm. It's much better than uh, spend your time on social right. media. Right. Well, and of course, one of the biggest problems that t- that people are talking about, especially with social media, is that we are comparing ourselves to people, and they're they're putting the best out there. So we're we're comparing ourselves to an unrealistic image and in, in an unrealistic story. Yeah. In this case, I have to say. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, it was not much better because the social pressure of newspapers was mm-hmm. huge. Right. We don't realize now because newspapers today, they're not so big. Mm-hmm. But in the 19th century, in the case of Mamonte, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, when you got 25 newspapers in a in, in small city, mm-hmm. different languages, mm-hmm. and all of them start to tell uh, that you are a, a basically a jerk. Right. Um, I mean, it, the pressure is horrible. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it was a different type of pressure, mm-hmm. but uh, amount of uh, every time he went home, he went out of, mm-hmm. on the street, he, he actually met people and he was uh, uh, criticized, he was mm-hmm. insulted, he was ignored. So the, 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 the question of social pressure is not an excuse mm-hmm. uh, right. today uh, to refrain you mm-hmm. from doing the right thing. Right. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's an aspect you mm-hmm. have to deal with, Mm-hmm. but uh, if you take the right habits, you adopt the right habits, mm-hmm. uh, you will do well. Right. Well, and of course, Momotov had the problem of they had originally thought he was fabulous, and, and then that tide turned, um, you know, and, and so that was, that was what was so upsetting to him. Yeah. Um, if we have a minute, I would just like to mention um, uh, the Knights Templar you mentioned at the beginning. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. um, uh, and it's a very interesting story because they have a huge multinational organization with uh, mm-hmm. 20,000 people. Right. Uh, we're talking now 14th century, mm-hmm. and they went down within uh, a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, I don't know, like you see this uh, Thomas Cook uh, operator, travel mm-hmm. operator, went down uh, mm-hmm. spectacularly uh, in a couple couple of days ago. And the reason is that uh, they had a, they were very inefficient. They have a huge overhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were badly organized. They were very wealthy. Mm-hmm. But uh, as soon as they um, they had a problem with the king of France, as soon as uh, the few leaders, I we're talking about five people mm-hmm. out of 20,000, uh, they were arrested right. under false charges. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the organization basically collapsed. Mm-hmm. And it's a pity because they, they did a lot of good things. They have mm-hmm. a very interesting uh, organization, architecture, everything. But uh, this is a, something you have to be wary. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you are wealthy, even if you are successful, don't lose your efficiency right. because uh, the Knights Templar, for a hundred years, uh, they dominated um, Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And within a few weeks, they were gone. Right. So there, there are a lot of uh, stories to learn from history. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and 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 that was a, definitely a story of you know they, they just had that very small group of leaders, and when they were gone, the the organization could not survive. Yeah, you have to to for, if you are half a company or you have uh, uh, you are an artist, you you have to create systems. Mm-hmm. If you create systems, uh, powerful systems, uh, safety systems, uh, your business or your life will go on mm-hmm. even in the face of disruptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do like the Knights Templar, where basically they were improvising, mm-hmm. um, uh, you will not you will not last. Right. Because uh, eventually you will have to face disruptions. Mm-hmm. So there is a very important lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. Build systems, uh, build uh, quality, uh, build um, uh, skills mm-hmm. that will get you through uh, adversity. Right. 
You know, and oh my gosh, John, we are at the top of the hour. This has been so much fun. And I, you know, as I said, I love talking about this, especially because of the the historical value that you bring into it. Um, can't wait to talk to you about your 11th book. Well, your 10th book is Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. And it can be found on Amazon, um, you know, and, and so I encourage people. It's, you know, it's a, it's a quick read, but it's a very good read. And, and I do, you know, it, I've enjoyed all of your books. Many thanks, Deb. Great. Well, as I said, John, can't wait to have you on again. This seems to be about an, an annual thing, so look forward to doing this again next year. I am Deb Creer. I've been having a fascinating discussion with John Vespasian. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.